Hello and welcome to Foothill Christian American Canyon. We're glad you joined us today and we sincerely hope that you're blessed with today's message. How many love that video? You love that video? I just got the chills just watching him baptize Jesus and then coming up to know that the Lord didn't need to get baptized, but it was an example for the people at that time. And then to know that I was in that same Jordan River, maybe not the exact same location, but to get baptized, and you know that, it's that Jesus got baptized there, John the Baptist was there, the greatest man that ever lived, Jesus' words, not mine. I mean, that's an unbelievable statement. How many would agree with me? Yes. That that's an unbelievable statement when you consider the Bible characters that lived. Jesus himself said that among women, this was the greatest man ever born to a woman. That's powerful. Now, let me give you a background before we go in any further. John here, John the Baptist, didn't have a single book written about him. The Gospel of John and 1 John and 2 John, the epistles, those aren't about John the Baptist. That's the disciple John, beloved John, the one that was at the cross with the mother of Jesus. That was John. This John, there's not a book written about him. He appears in scriptures, but there's no book. Uh, he, was, he, was, uh, he was feared at that time by, by the people that were living unrighteously because of his message. But here he is. He was actually the first prophet. This is what he was. He was a prophet an Old Testament prophet, yet described in the New Testament. That was his thing. He was an Old Testament prophet declaring basically fire and brimstone, repentance, and, and he was the first prophet in 400 years. See, Malachi was the last Old Testament prophet, and for 400 years, Israel did not have a prophet. So they were thirsting, hungering for someone to speak the word of God. And for these years... These centuries, there was nobody, nobody speaking and declaring the word of God until John showed up on the scene. So you can imagine, you know, no matter how cold we get the, the world, there's always a remnant, somebody that wants and desires more of God. How many know that? You, you may not go to church, but hopefully you miss a service or two, but that desire is there, man, I, I wish I could have been in church today. I wish I could have heard it. You know, that desire is still there. And this was the way it was with these people. They had a desire to hear the word of God. So one of the things that John, as he grew in his ministry, he was known as a, as a rabble rouser, as a troublemaker, because he was there going against the flow. Do you know anybody that likes to go against the flow? Yeah. Maybe that's you, right? Maybe that's you. Elbow that person if you, if you think that's that person. Right next to you, right? There's always people always going against the flow. This was John. He would always go against the flow. And, and John was, was a guy that was, was proud of that. He loved to mess with you. And uh, consider this, though. Not only was he bold, and we'll talk about that here shortly, and a faithful preacher, but the Bible says he walked in the spirit of Elijah the prophet. Now, how many remember Elijah in the Old Testament? I mean, he brought down fire from heaven. He called God to bring down fire from heaven. He was a mighty man of God that did many, many, many miracles. So the Bible describes him as Elijah walking in that kind of power. And um, here's the interesting thing, too, that I learned or that I'm really in studying about this 
is there was Elijah the prophet, then there was Elisha who asked for a double portion of the Spirit of God that Elijah had. So first there was Elijah, then there was Elisha who asked for a double portion, and then, you know, 400, 500 years later, years later, here comes John, and Jesus is saying, he was greater than all of those guys. That's amazing. I want you to just let that rattle around in your brain right now, that John the Baptist was even more amazing than these great prophets of old. John was the forerunner to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He was put in place. He had a mission. He had a purpose that he was born for. He was to prepare the way. He was the messenger. The messenger was a forerunner for the Lord and a sign of the Lord's coming. That's really what he was bringing. He was bringing two things, reminding people that the Lord was coming and that, that um, they needed to get ready. Let me give you a, an illustration. How many here live in the Napa Valley? Raise your hand if you live in the Napa Valley. There's a few of you here that live in the Napa Valley. How many of you have driven down 29 up towards St. Helena or Calistoga? If you have, you've seen this big, long train. It's called the wine train. Okay, people aren't whining. They're not whiners. They're drinking wine. They're having dinner, lunch. They're going on this train. But have you ever noticed that before that train ever goes through there, up valley twice a day, I think it's twice a day still, lunch and dinner, there was always a smaller train, even sometimes a truck equipped with rail car wheels that would jump on the tracks and it would go. Every day it does that, up and down. Why is it doing that? It's checking the tracks to make sure they're safe for the wine train. Because you never know what could happen. Somebody could intentionally do something. So this is really kind of a forerunner for the wine train. It came before the train. This is what John the Baptist was. He came before to set the pattern for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So first of all, the, the forerunner is not just preparing the way for any old person. He's preparing it for Almighty God. God in flesh, Christ Jesus. That's what you have to remember. The Messiah. He's preparing the way for God. Secondly, the forerunner was to come and prepare the way spiritually. He was to work with people to turn back away from their sins because he was preaching repentance, repentance, repentance. And what have I taught you here? Repentance is walking in this direction and all of a sudden, doing this. It's a complete 180. It's no longer walking in that direction, but now it's walking in righteousness, away from the sins. Amen? God was using John in preparation for the Messiah. And you can see how in that video, that illustration, John's just looking at him and he's realizing this is, this is my destiny. This is who I've been preparing the way for, for this, this prophet. He didn't really all know what, who Jesus was. Although, did you know that Jesus was his cousin? The Bible says John and Jesus were cousins. They were cousins. That, that's crazy right there. These great, a great prophet and then this man, this God man known as Jesus Christ were cousins. Amen. So the question this morning I want to ask is, how did John go about preparing the way for the Lord? How did he do that? Number one on your outline, 
His message was really simple. Number one, it was preaching repentance. Preaching repentance. What, what that means specifically is uh, he was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He was telling people to get away from their sins because for 400 years now, there had been no prophet, nobody there teaching the word of God, nobody standing out and yelling. And how, how many have ever seen those street evangelists? Yeah, they get up on a, on a platform typically, or, or maybe even at Walmart. I, I've seen videos at Walmart where they're preaching in there. I don't know how long they last in there, but they, they begin preaching and, and speaking the gospel message. This is what John was doing. He, he was uh, preaching repentance, saying, the Lord is coming. And just like those people that you see, sometimes with crazy signs, marching up and down, the Lord is coming, you will perish. I mean, sometimes they, they really go hard and heavy, don't they, with their signs nowadays. Well, that's what the people thought back then. They thought, oh, here comes this crazy prophet telling me how I should live my life. Why does he mind his own business and just concentrate and worry about his own life? Right? Isn't that how normal, how people think? That's our natural reaction. But he had this purpose in life to preach repentance. It burned in him. He, see, he wasn't going to get satisfied until he fulfilled his destiny, his ministry. So he's, he's preaching this. Now listen to this verse in Luke chapter 3. I believe it's on your outline. Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. Listen to what John said. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Basically he's saying, you snakes. I mean, that's modern day language right there. He's calling people snakes. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Man, if we're to sum it up, that message, this is really what it would say. It would say, because of your sinful lifestyles, each of you, you are not acting like the people of God. He was calling them out. It didn't matter, as you'll see, which led to his ultimate death. He called out the leaders of that time. Herod, at that time, he called out their sin, which led ultimately to his beheading. But it didn't stop him. He preached the message that God had called him to. Amen? Amen. Sometimes, as a reminder for you and I, we don't have to worry about getting beheaded. We don't have to worry about getting shot. But if God has called you, if God has spoken to you and said, hey, I need you to go and, and witness to that neighbor. I need you to witness to that one person. See, John was witnessing to multitudes. And they were coming to him because they were hungering and desiring for this. When, see, when there's sin, God's grace is there so much more. God's grace and love is there. It really is. And all you got to do is just reach for it. You just got to reach for it. And so our job is to reach out to others, to, to preach repentance, just say, hey, you know what? There's a better way. Just like my uncle that one day knocked on my door and said, hey, there's a better way. There's a better way. And that might be all it takes for you to get a hold of somebody that will listen to you. Amen? Amen. And so what John was also doing, he was baptizing people. 
as a, as a sign that their sins would be forgiven. See, it was pointing to a time when their sins would be forgiven. He couldn't forgive sins. Because the Bible says only God can forgive sins. What he was doing was baptizing unto repentance for the forgiveness of sins, pointing to a time when that would happen. And he didn't know it, but that was the coming of the Messiah. He didn't know who it was going to be. So this, this would have been an offensive message to the people at that time. Just like I described right now, the signs that you see sometimes on the street corners, especially in the city, you'll see that often. You don't see it necessarily too much out here, but you go into the larger cities, you'll see people um, with signs and, and uh, declaring the message of God. And for some people, it's offensive. For us as believers, we know that it's, it's life. It's eternal life. Amen. Amen? But the, this was a message that the people needed to hear. The Lord was on his way, and John was only preparing their hearts. He was tilling their soil in preparation. Amen? Amen. See, the other thing that in that verse that we just read, the people thought just because they were descendants of Abraham, that they, they had something special going on for them. You know, you may, you may have been there and said, well, I don't need to go to church I, because, you know, I was raised in church. That doesn't mean anything. It, if you were raised in church, that, that only means that you're accountable more than anybody else because you've heard message after message after message. Each of us work out our own salvation. Your spouse cannot help you with your relationship with God. Amen. Your parents cannot help you with your relationship with God. It's up to each of us. Amen? Amen. Everyone say this with me. It starts with repentance. That's the very first step in the, in the puzzle, in, in beginning your life with Christ. Repentance, again, is realizing that you're walking in the wrong direction and turning around and doing an about face and begin to walk in steps of righteousness. It's not only doing that, but, but becoming sorry for what you were doing. There, when, when, we're, when we commit an offense against somebody... It's one thing to say, I'm sorry, but it's another thing to say, I need you to forgive me. That's truly when you're telling them, I know I was wrong. Now I need you to forgive me because I was wrong. That's what we do when we say, Lord, I'm sorry. I need you to come into my life and forgive me and help me to live a new life. How many are thankful for the new life in Christ? Yeah. Amen. The people needed to realize how wrong they were and to be sorry for their sins. They also, as you and I, needed to turn away from their lives of sin. Sometimes the Lord says, hey, I need you to work on getting rid of this, this, this thing that's no longer important in your life, whatever that may be that's destroying your marriage, that may be destroying your character. I need you to get rid of that, and I need you to concentrate more on the things of God. Sometimes God will speak to you, and, and he, you know, it could be simple things. Not spending social, so much time on social media. That's a big one in our culture. Uh, there, the, our young people, I saw, I saw, I just have to tell you this one. I saw this, this little joke, a uh, little illustration. And it was the new arrivals getting up into heaven. And the angels were talking amongst each other. And they said, I don't know what it, what it is with these new arrivals, but they just keep looking at their hands. <laughs> right? That's our generation. We're doing this. What? 
What? Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's not do that. Amen. Don't, don't get me started on that. John assured the people that if they had a repentant heart, they would be forgiven. Forgiveness is powerful, people. Forgiveness is, is life-changing. He was not only teaching the outward work of baptism. See, baptism is always an outward work of what's going on in our, in our soul, inside. Amen? He, his point in, in baptism is that an outward sign is leading us to an inward change. An inward change. How many remember when you were baptized for the first time and, and the Lord spoke to you and said, this is now when you begin to do something different now. I want you to change the way you've been doing things. It's coming up and, and saying, this is a new life now. I've got a new, a new chapter has opened up in my life. I'm going to do it differently now. And God gives us that opportunity. Not only does he give us, give us a second opportunity, but a third opportunity, a fourth opportunity, a fifth and seventh. I mean, God is amazingly full of grace and mercy. Mark tells us that many of these people were being baptized by, by John the Baptist, confessing their sins. That's amazing right there that people were hungering and desiring. People were hungry at that time. And it hasn't changed in our day and age. There are still people hungering and desiring for God. They just don't know how. They're just not plugged in. They don't realize the benefits of not only receiving Christ, but then having a spiritual family. That's big, people. A spiritual family is huge. And and what his message was, was that, that they were not acting. They were not living like the people of God. And so you can imagine this this man, the Bible describes him as wearing um, camel hair outfit. Camel hair. I don't know what camel hair looks like. I haven't been on any camels lately. Not since I went to Israel. But he had a leather belt and he ate wild honey and locusts. So with that kind of a diet, he probably wasn't a heavy man. He was probably pretty fit. And, and coming from the wilderness and just this wild looking guy. That, that's the picture I have of John the Baptist. This wild, crazy, you know, on fire. Repent or you're going to go to hell. You know, that was his message. That really was. And I mean, there, there is a place for that. But he was only preparing people's heart. He was preparing them for the Messiah. Amen. Amen. So as he told them for their their need to repent, they were beginning to come to him. They were beginning to see, um, he was planting the seed that was going to grow during the time of Jesus' ministry. See, when we confess our sins, what we're truly telling God is we're agreeing with God. We're agreeing with God when we confess our sins. We're saying, Lord, I I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I did this, I did that, and I agree that I'm a sinner. The Bible says that all of us have sinned. Yes. There's no one righteous, not one, the Bible says. God has revealed to us his holy character through his word, through his word. He has revealed to us not only his word, but the ways of righteousness, how to walk. You know, we we think that we know how to parent as parents, but without the word of God. But the word of God really instructs us on how to take that to the next level, how to walk in righteousness, how to have a relationship with our spouse. I mean, if, 
if he, if he designed us and created us, what better way than to go to the manual for this? Amen? Amen? This is truly the best way to do it. The way of righteousness through his word. Here's the flip side of that. When we sin, you know what we're saying to God? My way is better, Lord. I think I got a better handle on this than you do. And that's a very dangerous road for us as believers if we go down that road. Because you know better. You know better. So I, I'm praying that every one of you, when you're, when you're praying and you say, Lord, forgive me for, for today. Forgive me. And this is a prayer I do often. I say, Lord, forgive me. And if there's something that pops into my mind that I may have said, uh, I will say, forgive me for saying uh, 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 that word to my wife, Anna, in, in, in anger at that moment. Yes. Or if I can't think of anything that jumps right out, I'll say, Lord, reveal to me in the recesses of my heart something that I may have said, done, and all of a sudden, boom, it'll just smack me right up the head right there. It's like, thank you, Lord. I need you to forgive me for that. Because I am not perfect just like you. All of us fall short. And, and we need to confess our sin. Otherwise, we're saying, Lord, I got this, and I'm a much better judge of character, and I can live my life way better than you can handle it for me. Basically, you're saying, Jesus... No, I got the wheel. <laughs> number, number two, they accepted his message. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. See, at that time, they were coming and saying, this, this man, he, I think he might be Elijah reborn. They didn't know if he was Elijah because he had the spirit of Elijah, of a prophet. They even thought he was the, the Messiah himself. They knew the Old Testament scriptures foretold of a coming Messiah. And they thought that John might be that person. And they accepted his message eagerly. There's something about somebody when, when you're hungry, number one, to receive the word, and you're desiring of it, you will receive that message. How many remember the first time you, you can say that you were saved or that you agreed with God intellectually, spiritually, you received that message. Amen? You received it. And you accepted it willingly. It wasn't pumped into you because you did that as a kid. You, got, you were raised in the church. There came a point in time where you received that. So in the same way these people received, they gladly received his message. And then it takes us to our third point, a mightier person. And this is what I love. Again, I'll read the scripture, Luke chapter 7, verse 28. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. John lived out his message. He lived out his purpose every day. But every single time someone came up to him and said, are you the Messiah? He would quickly, quickly say, oh, no, no, I'm just pointing the way towards the Messiah. I'm just pointing. We're waiting for him. But he was quick to deflect any of that attention from him. I wish a lot of our mega church pastors would be the same way. I wish a lot of our, you know, personalities, preachers that you see on TV would be the same way. Be more humble rather than walk around like a God. Amen? Amen. Sh say this with me. Life, life is not about me. It's not about me. Amen. Amen. Quicker you learn that, 
the better it will go with you. Life is not about me. And that's really what John was living. He, he was living the life and declaring, hey, it's not about me. It's the one coming after me that I'm not even worthy not only to wear his shoes, but untie his shoes. I'm not even worthy to step into those shoes. And that's amazing here because Jesus, again, described him as the greatest man that ever lived, born of women. So the third point was a mightier person. There is a mightier person. And we need to realize that that is Jesus. It's not you. It's not me. It's not any pastor in this community. It's not any of the mega church pastors. It's Jesus Christ. Amen. And again, Mark, when he said that there is coming one mightier than me after, after me, he was declaring to the people, hey, slow your roll here. You might think I'm the Messiah. You might think I'm even Elijah, but I'm not. There's coming one after me that's mightier than me. Look to him, not to me. I'm just preaching the message. I'm the message boy. That's really what he was. He was the message boy, bringing the message that God had put on his heart. Amen. Amen. And, um, you know, I just think about that, how awesome it would have been to, to be in that, in the presence of John, hearing a message like that. I don't think this world nowadays has ever heard a message like that. I don't think you can put any sermon on repentance and on, 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 on hell. I don't think anything comes close to it. He offended people. He didn't care what you felt. Today, sadly, in churches, we're too worried about how, well, I don't want to hurt the people's feelings. They might not come back to church again. And, you know, our, our offering may suffer and we may not be able to have the lights on. So we better not offend them. And there's too much of that going on. Yeah. Too much of that. And I'm sorry. And if, if I ever say something that offends you biblically, I need to share that with you because the Bible tells you nothing but the truth. It tells you nothing but straight up truth. Amen? Yes. So, so John was preaching on this one who is mightier than him, the Messiah, the anointed one. John immediately, every time there was a conversation with the people, he deflected the attention off of him unto the one that was coming after him. Do you deflect attention when someone says, or I'll just use me as an example. Pastor Rick, that was a great message. Or Pastor Rick, that was a terrible message. Either one. Well, give the glory to God. That's what he gave me. Give the glory to, I give the glory to God. Do you do that in your life? When, when someone gives you a, a compliment and say, well, I praise God. I thank God for that. Yes. Got a new car today. Great. I give the glory to God for giving us the ability to have that. Yes. Got a new house today. Got the keys to it. I give the glory to God for having given us the house. Do you do that? Do you deflect it back to the one who gave it to you? That's what God is challenging us through this message. John said that he was not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of this mightier one sandal. What an amazing thing to say. And here he was being described as this prophet, this great prophet. And he he, he knew himself. He wasn't afraid of that. And if John had this amazing ministry, if he had this amazing ministry, but was not good enough to untie the strap of Jesus' sandals, oh man, how much less worthy are we? How much less worthy are we? But think about this. 
God put all that aside and he said, no, by grace you're saved. It's not by your works. It's by grace. See, his grace is so great towards us that he says, it doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you're going through. I want to walk with you. I want to walk through this this journey of life with you. And I need you to understand that. Today, let's do that. Let's begin that, that process. So, so people began to do this. This should be a humbling thought that, that we can be on that same level as, as John the Baptist in that we receive this grace, this salvation. Amen? Amen. Amen. And then our fourth and final point, and I'll be done here shortly, a mightier ministry. Let me read Ezekiel chapter 36 in the Old Testament, verses 26 through 27. I want you to hear this. It says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Wow, that, there's something going on here, here. John was saying to the people here, I have baptized you with water. I've baptized you with water. But he, the Messiah, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. We're reminded here that Jesus' ministry on earth, or excuse me, that John's ministry on earth was preparation for Jesus' ministry. John pointed out the people their sin. He was pointing out what they were doing wrong and the need for repentance. He was a voice again crying out in the wilderness. John didn't remove the obstacles from their hearts. John's baptism was with water, which was just an outward sign. There was one coming, Jesus, that would remove all those obstacles. Amen. In this passage, God promises to put his spirit in the hearts of people so that they will be able to obey him. See, that's the big difference as a new believer, as a believer in Christ. Before you came to know the Lord, you didn't have the power to walk in his righteousness. You don't have the power without him in you. You need the Holy Spirit of God living in you to be able to walk in righteousness. You cannot do it on your own. And if you don't believe me, Look back on your life at the times that you failed and realize you were trying to do it on your own. You were trying to do it in your own power and in your own strength. God said, no, I don't want you to do that. I got a better way. I need to fill you with my presence. And he does that when you get saved. When you receive Christ and you you receive his presence, now you have the power to live with righteousness. But if you're trying to do it by yourself, you're going to do this. Boom. Hit your head against the wall every single time. And it gets frustrating. Believe me. How do I know that? Because I've done it. You've done it. And then we realize we, we always go to God at the very end. We say, Lord, I need you. Well, he's going, well, you should have asked me like five years ago. You've been butting your head against the wall for the last five years, and I could have saved you a whole bunch of trouble, turmoil, and money, possibly. Amen? A mightier ministry. He recognized that Jesus had that. 
in this passage, God also promises to put his spirit in the hearts of his people so that they will be able to obey him. Again, you can't obey God without his presence. It's hard. I can't emphasize that enough. John's baptism also pointed out that the people were unable to follow God. And Jesus' baptism regenerates the people so that they can follow God. Amen? Again, echoing the thought that we need his presence in our life. We need the presence of Almighty God. That's an amazing demonstration of God's truth and grace right there. Of how much God loves you. You know, he realizes, yeah, I see you beating your life up, beating your head up, you know, going against the same obstacles. I'll, I'll wait it out with him. I'll, I'll walk with you. I'll, I'll guide you. And when you do come to your senses and you say, Lord, I need your help, he's there because he never left you. You just needed to ask him to help you. Amen? Amen. Again, John's baptism just showed that we were all sinners and that we cannot follow God on our own. Ephesians 2 and verse 8 through 9 that by grace we are saved, not of your works, lest anyone should boast, the Bible says. As I close and I invite the worship team to come up, as we look at this life and ministry of John the Baptist, it's clear that he, John the Baptist, was all about glorifying God. Let me ask you this question today. Is it possible that we're missing that, that mark in our life, that we don't glorify God in our job? at home, that our children, our grandchildren don't see that we give glory to God. We're missing, we're missing chances, opportunities. Are, are we doing that when we get blessed and we fail and miss an opportunity to give God the glory that he belong, that belongs to him? It's evident in these verses where it speaks about John pointing to a forerunner that Jesus is the glorious God and the Messiah. How many know that? Jesus was the Messiah. The point of this message is that it should cause us to be amazed at the glorious nature of Christ. If Christ's forerunner, John the Baptist, was that amazing, how much more amazing is our Lord and Savior? How much more amazing is He? Amen? John knew how amazing Jesus is, and so his aim was to glorify him in everything, in word and in deed. And in every every situation, he would glorify Jesus. We should have the same attitude as John. Amen? Amen? Everything that God blesses you with, from this day forward, if you haven't been doing a good job of that, I want you to give God all the glory. I want you to begin to tell others about, can I tell you what God has done for me lately? And it's not about just blessings in your life, about a new house or a new car, new job. It's about every day. I woke up today and I had the best sleep and I give God all the glory. I mean, it's that simple. I had a peaceful day today. My world was not filled with turmoil. I had a relaxing day today. Thank you, Lord. It's found in the simplest things every day. Sometimes we, we look towards things, you know, great and mighty things, but God is in the smallest detail. Amen. Amen.